This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello, my name is Professor Michael Brown and I'm a co-director of the Research Institute of Irish and Scottish Studies, which is sponsoring this new series of podcasts, 525 Years in the Pursuit of Truth, a new history of the University of Aberdeen. Over the course of this series, my colleagues and I will be retelling the story of how Aberdeen rose from a small medieval foundation to a significant hub of intellectual life in the region, nationally and indeed globally, bringing Aberdeen out to the world and just as significantly bringing the world to Aberdeen. Currently marking the 525th anniversary of the foundation of King's College, the University is one of Scotland's four ancients and the fifth earliest institution of higher learning in Britain. The brainchild of Bishop Elphinstone, King's College and its sister institution Marshall, itself founded in 1593, merged in 1860, further adding Christ's College in 1929. Together, the university has experienced the external forces, the civil wars of the 1640s, the Union of Crowns of 1707, the disruption of the Church of Scotland and the, in the 19th century, and the world wars of the 20th century. It has a long tradition of academic achievement. It has contributed to the Reformation, the Enlightenment, and has been associated with five Nobel laureates. It has proven itself to be adaptable and innovative, committed throughout its existence, to the founding intention, to be opened all and dedicated to the pursuit of truth in the service of others. How that founding purpose came to be realised is the subject of our first talk, to be given by Dr Jackson Armstrong. A senior lecturer in the History Department, Dr Armstrong specialises in the study of 15th century Anglo-Scottish relations. He is also the principal investigator of the Aberdeen Berg Records Project, which has opened up to study the extraordinary early records of Aberdeen City Corporation. His talk today situates the decision by Elphinstone to create a new institution of higher learning in the light of the wider cultural context of the city's engagement in the Scottish Renaissance. It is entitled Before and After Bishop Elphinstone, Creativity and Learning in the Medieval and Renaissance Aberdeen. I hope you enjoy it and the other talks in this series. Thanks very much. My name is Jackson Armstrong, and I'm a senior lecturer in history at the University of Aberdeen. I'd like to explore the very earliest history of the university. And one of the ideas that's often associated with the foundation of King's College in the 1490s by Bishop William Elphinstone, the patronage of King James IV, is that King's College represented a new innovation for the Northeast, connecting a somehow isolated and remote region of the kingdom to the world of learning. The King's College represented a new beacon of light for Aberdeen. But I'd like to explore the ways in which that idea isn't very helpful for us in understanding the reasons why Bishop Elphinstone chose Aberdeen as the place for his new foundation. And I'd like to look at the deep medieval legacy of learning, scholarship, and creativity that can be found in the borough. The story of Aberdeen is, of course, a story of two boroughs, that of the Royal Borough on the Dee, and that of Old Aberdeen on the River Don. 
And that's where I'm sitting now on the banks of the Don in Seton Park, just below St. Macker's Cathedral. And I'm sitting with a modern edition of a book known as the Aberdeen Breviary. It was a book that was finally printed in 1510, Scotland's first full-scale printed book, but it was very much a project of Bishop William Elphinstone to compile the comprehensive collection of the legends of Scottish saints. The Aberdeen Breviary has set out much as a calendar, listing the prayers and lectures that are to be observed on each saint's feast day. And it includes details for the feast of St. Macker, the 12th of November. And Macker, as we know him, is the early medieval founder of the church at Aberdeen. The breviary records that he chose to make his dwelling where a river enters the sea in the shape of a bishop's staff. And that describes the bend of the River Don, which encloses the site of St. Macker's Cathedral and the borough of Old Aberdeen as it exists today. The medieval cathedral was very much a working hub, a place of administration as much as worship. The bishop might often be away on other business, but the cathedral was run by the bishop's principal officials and some 29 canons. Some of the stone effigies surviving within the cathedral today are memorials to these men. One such leading dignitary was the archdeacon, in charge of disciplinary matters for the clergy and the diocese. The cathedral maintained its own library. A catalogue from the mid-15th century lists some 138 books of divinity, history, and law, for the church dealt with a wide array of legal affairs, what we might think of today as family law. The cathedral was also a place of learning, and it had its own song school and grammar school for boys from the diocese who showed an aptitude for music and for book learning. Aberdeen today should really do more to remember John Barber. Barber's called the father of Scots poetry. In the later 14th century, he wrote The Bruce, the book-length epic poem which immortalized Robert I as the quintessential Scottish monarch. John Barber wrote The Bruce while he was Archdeacon of Aberdeen, and it was a great novelty to write at such length in the vernacular language of lowland East Coast Scotland, at that time a language known as Inglis, today what we'd call Older or Middle Scots. In some 80,000 words, Barber created a new literary style, but he also conducted a historical and a textual research effort, weaving together the story of Robert Bruce's life from other written sources, most of which are now lost. Barber was a man of erudition who had many different roles. He was already a senior cleric, probably in his 30s when he was promoted to the post of Archdeacon in 1356. At the time of his promotion, he was overseas at the papal court in Avignon. During the rest of his career, he frequently served as a Scottish diplomat abroad, traveling to England and France. One such mission is known from a document called the Safe Conduct, which is like a visa. It allowed Barber to travel to Saint Denis near Paris, which was the hub of the European book trade. This Safe Conduct specified that protection for his travel extended to books as well as to people indicating that he was on a book-buying mission, perhaps for the cathedral library or for other contacts at home. John Barber died in 1395, and it's likely that he is buried in the south aisle of St. Macker's Cathedral, 
which anyway is known as the Barber Isle. If Old Aberdeen with its cathedral was connected to the international world of the church, the Royal Borough of Aberdeen with its port was connected to the wider world of trade. From the 12th century, it held the status of Royal Borough, which meant financial and administrative oversight by the crown. Still, by the time of John Barber, Aberdeen had no more than a few thousand inhabitants. But it was counted in Bruges as among the four principal towns of Scotland. And we know a great deal about medieval Scottish towns because of Aberdeen's civic record-keeping tradition. Its surviving council registers are the most complete and continuous of all Scottish towns before 1500, and for this they hold UNESCO recognition. The Aberdeen Council Registers survive from 1398 onwards. Written in Latin and Middle Scots, they tell us about life in Aberdeen and its international connections. They record elections of local officers, correspondence with external authorities, town legislation to regulate trade and public health, and cases heard in the various courts convened by the borough officials. It's the latter that takes up the most space in some one and a half million words between 1398 and 1511. The vast majority of entries tell us about commercial transactions and disputes over those transactions between the inhabitants of Aberdeen, men and women, and often the foreign merchants and sailors with whom they did business. The 15th century registers tell a story about the expanding use of written records, especially in the Scots vernacular. They also tell us about the European stage on which Aberdeen's affairs were conducted. One entry, a rare one, in Dutch, from 1446, sets out a contract made in the Low Countries between Wouter Michaelis and John Vos, the provost of Aberdeen. Wouter, who was in debt to the provost, undertook to make payment to the provost's children, who were in school in Paris. A contract made in the Low Countries, written down in Dutch in Scotland, for a debt to be repaid to children studying in Paris. This, in a nutshell, describes Aberdeen, the well-connected hub of trade and administration, with a thriving literate culture in the later Middle Ages. Within the Royal Borough too, learning, teaching, and even experimental research can be detected in the 15th century. The Borough Church of St. Nicholas, sometimes called the Mither Kirk, was a focal point of much of this activity. Chantry chaplains based in the Borough Church were often called to take charge of the town's song school, and also its grammar school. Musical talents were in high demand by churches across the land, and choristers whose names are recorded can be seen to have gone on to flourishing careers. The grammar school of the borough enabled training in Latin and logic, and from 1419 its master was always a university degree-holding graduate. At this time, Scots who sought a university education needed to travel abroad to study. One image accompanying this podcast is the characterful illustration of a lecture at Louvain in 1467. And this is drawn among the, the lecture notes on Aristotle made by a student from Murray called George Lichten. Only in the 15th century with the new university foundations of St. Andrews, Glasgow and King's College did it become possible to undertake degree level study at home in Scotland. Such an expansion in the demand for and provision of higher education across Europe at this time is, of course, one aspect of the age of the Renaissance and specifically of the new learning called humanism, which drew its inspiration from the ancient Greeks and Romans.
Aberdeensboro records also contain another sign of the Renaissance. In 1505, an inquest into the inheritance arising from the death of a Chantry chaplain called Andrew Gray mentions that his property included a still for aquavit and rose water. This is the earliest record of a still for aquavit in Scotland. Aquavit was the term for distilled alcohol that in time would come to be known in Scotland from the Gaelic vernacular as whiskey. Gray, who was associated with the master of the Burroughs Grammar School in 1499, died in December 1504, and it's probable that he made use of his still during his lifetime. The record shows that the Aquavit still came into the hands of one George Barber. Elsewhere in the registers, we can see George Barber active in early medicine in Aberdeen. And this is a fascinating, if oblique, snapshot of the way in which a prominent churchman could be closely involved with what we would understand as early science, using the experimental apparatus of a still to create a substance, aquavit, which was closely associated with early chemistry and the pursuit of medicinal substances. As exciting as this recent find is, it's also entirely in keeping with what we would expect from a prominent borough in Renaissance Scotland. So, by the time we come to Bishop Elphinstone in the 1490s, Aberdeen already had a long legacy of creativity and learning, and its two rivers were very confidently flowing into the world of European trade and the European Renaissance. William Elphinstone was born in Glasgow in 1431. He was one of the first students at the new University of Glasgow in the 1450s. He later studied canon law in Paris and civil law in Orléans. From the 1470s until his death in 1514, he would serve as an officer and advisor at the highest levels of government in the kingdom. He first came to Aberdeen in 1488 to be consecrated as bishop, and in his episcopal career he displayed an extraordinary energy. He fostered a number of projects, but the greatest and most complex of these was undoubtedly the foundation of King's College. Although he secured papal approval for his new foundation in 1495, the creation of a new university was a process rather than a moment. Bishop Elphinstone spent the next decade ensuring the proper patronage that would give the new university a sound financial footing, and for this he'd started at the top, with King James IV, who had given his name to the endeavour when it went before the Pope, and who offered other patronage, for instance to endow a chair of medicine in 1497. This post was first taken up by a man called James Cumming, who was in 1503 also to be appointed as the first mediciner or physician for the royal borough of Aberdeen. William Elphinstone turned to the Dundonian Hector Boyce to come to Aberdeen to teach liberal arts, inviting him back to Scotland from Paris, where he was based as a university regent and where he developed a friendship with Desiderius Erasmus, the greatest humanist of the age. In 1505, Elphinstone asked Hector Boyce to become the first principal of the university. By the same year, Bishop Elphinstone was in a position to grant his foundation charter, which set out the constitution and structure of the new university. At this time, King's College comprised some 36 members, and by 1514, the year of the bishop's death, this had risen modestly to 42. But however modest in numbers, Elphinstone's project meant the growth 
of the borough of Old Aberdeen. The borough itself was founded in 1489 as a borough of barony, and ground was broken for the initial building of the new chapel for King's College in 1497, and work continued on this phase until the chapel's dedication in 1509. But there were other projects too. I'm walking up the little path from Poe's Gate past the car park, around the corner to a brick-lined wall with an iron gate, a little bit rusted, to find one of Old Aberdeen's hideaway treasures, which is from the time of Elphinstone and his foundation. This is the site of the Snowkirk, the parish church for Elphinstone's new borough of Old Aberdeen, which was first dedicated in 1503. All that survives today is a, a walled cemetery, which is still in service as a Roman Catholic graveyard. But within this site was the parish church for the new borough of Old Aberdeen. And the first priest who provides services here was Walter Boyce, the brother of Hector, who at the same time was the first principal of King's College. The story of the early decades of King's College is well known. The college was to survive the upheavals of the Reformation in the decades following mid-century, and Aberdeen was in time even able to support a second collegiate foundation in the Royal Borough itself, made in the 1590s by the Earl Marshal. It's striking that this was the same decade in which it has recently been discovered that we can find the first record of a Scottish ship called the William sailing for the New World, setting out from Aberdeen in 1596 to venture to the newfound land. To me, the early history of the university and the context out of which it was created is about how Bishop Elphinstone's foundation was a, a result of an outward-looking, creative, and internationally connected Aberdeen. That was a medieval legacy which would continue for centuries to come. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.